for tuning in to the 91st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Wherever you may be, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Host Daryl D. Lane, as always, I want to thank you for listening, whether it be via SoundCloud, uh, WJCU, Saturday morning, Stitcher, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, bevy of different ways to listen to me. Uh, got a great show planned today. Got a great podcast. Uh, gonna have Daniel Gallen on. He covers the Philadelphia Eagles for PenLive.com. Now this is another interview, and this will be the last part because we've been a little bit behind. You know, I've had a lot of stuff I'm doing over the summer, right? So uh, had this probably about actually a month ago, but it's still relevant. It's still good. We're getting back into the football season. Gonna talk a lot of Philadelphia Eagles because uh, Daniel covers the team. So we're gonna get about Carson Wentz injury history. Uh, he just got that big contract right uh, about four or five weeks ago. You know, we're gonna talk about. Daniel, as he covered the team during their Super Bowl run, you know, what he saw, you know, what happened there. Uh, Doug Peterson, you know, how is he as an offensive mind? All that stuff, all that information, you won't want to miss it. It's going to be a great interview, and Daniel did a great job. Now, also what happened, uh, our last podcast, uh, 90th episode, it was July 11th. It got released July 11th, and uh, that was on my mom's birthday. I said that at the end of the last show, I think. Just want to say again, uh, happy belated birthday, mom. If I did not say that at the end of uh, last podcast, pretty sure I did. But never hurts to say that again twice, right? Built up that good street credit. Uh, but also, uh, the thing is, July 12th is my birthday. And it was a special birthday because it was my 21st birthday. Now, before um, we get into anything, I, I just want to play this. What's 9 plus 10? 21. 21. 21. Love that. So let me tell you. This is how my 21st birthday went. Okay, so I'm working. Uh, and this has nothing to do with uh, sports. This is just this is just my story for you. This is a tidbit of my life for all of you. Uh, so I work. I work at Giancarlo's. It's a Sicilian steakhouse pizzeria in Buffalo, New York, right? I'm, I'm sous serving. Uh, serve from like, it's like from four, four, four to whenever uh, everybody leaves. So I, I'm probably, it's probably 11 o'clock, right? Everybody's talking to me throughout the day. People are like, oh, Daryl, you're not going out. How are you working on your birthday? Man, I'd be getting you-know-what-faced. I'd be getting ass-faced. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be walking. And I talked to uh, Ben Karen, who's a friend of the friend of the show, actually hosts the Sports Squabbler podcast. Me and Ben were talking a couple days before my birthday. And, and I was like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's like, you know what? And Ben made a great point. He was just like, you know, it's probably not the first time you've ever drunk alcohol. You know, so, so what's special about it being your 21st birthday? And that's kind of how I was. I mean, I was just like, you know, with just any other day. Like, it, it doesn't make it special. I mean, and I've never been a big, you know, celebratory person for birthdays and all that so that's never really been my thing anyway but let's set the stage right so get off work around 11 o'clock um talking to one of the bartenders and you know i I get a shot i get a shot right um not like i don't know anything really about liquor or anything like that honestly and i'm just like just give me a shot whatever 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 just want to sit down have a drink u.s soil for the first time on american soil have a drink of legal alcohol right let's do it uh, I leave, then I come back, uh, the shot's there. I believe it's it's something, it's like Crown or something. It was Crown or something like that. And then there's this old, older uh, gentleman, probably about 50, 60 years old. He comes up, it's like, your 21st birthday, son? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, let me teach you something about liquor. Let me teach you something about liquor. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, okay, I'm clocked out. I'm clocked out. Everything's good. I'm clocked out, right? I can't get fired. I'm like, I'm clocked out. He gets, he buys me about five, six shots of uh, tequila. And as you can imagine, I was not, <laughs> uh, it, it was not the, uh, it had me feeling a little bit different. It had me a little bit feeling different. And he probably spent about $200 on me, which, which was crazy. And then he got me this like vanilla liquor. I don't even know what it was. And he was like, sip it, sip it. He's like, it tastes like vanilla, doesn't it? He's like, sip it, sip it. And I sit and he's like, good, good, good. It's like he's coaching me. It's like he's coaching me. It was crazy. He's like, okay, listen, you feeling good? I'm like, 
uh, I think so. He's like, get some water, get some water. It was like he was coaching me through this whole experience. And the bartenders and everybody was just watching it take fold. So that's how my 21st birthday was. Uh, wasn't, ex you know, wasn't super excited. I didn't, uh, I remember it. I remember it. I remember very vividly, actually, which is a good thing because a lot of people were telling me, man, Errol, I don't remember my 21st birthday. I remember my 21st birthday. So just wanted to do that. I think that's kind of a proud accomplishment. I had a couple of drinks, had a, met a nice man, had a great had great conversation with him. Uh, was a really good guy. I think his, his son was in town for a hockey tournament. So it was good, you know, break bread, talk life. He bought me a couple shots. I didn't have to pay for anything. Uh, he, he paid for it all. Great. Appreciate his generosity. So give this. We got to give now, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff's been going on in sports, right? James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Um, U.S. women, uh, they win the World Cup. Um, so much stuff to talk about, right? You know, Baseball Hall of Fame introductions. Uh, Cooperstown, right? And some of this stuff will be uh, put on to the 92nd podcast. The next podcast we do, I'll delve into that more. But, but here's what I do want to talk about because there's something that really happened about four or five days ago that I never really got to address. Uh, and I think it's an interesting subject. And this was uh, talked about on the, the Lefko show. Uh, it's, it's a podcast on Bleacher Report. And he had Todd Gurley on. And what Todd Gurley was talking about is uh, the wage gap between NFL players and NBA players. And uh, Lefko, the host, I think he does a great job on his podcast. He was talking about how somebody like some name off the top of my head. A Kent Bazemore, a rando in the NBA, who most of you probably don't even know his name, gets paid more in annual salary than Ezekiel Elliott. In my opinion, the best running back in the NFL, and at the very worst, a top three running back, right? Stuff like that. The highest paid players like Russell Wilson at $17 million or whatever, uh, and uh, he's not making half as much as... Uh, Somebody like Jamal Crawford or JF, something crazy stuff like that. Crazy stuff like that. But here's what I have to say. And you know what? There's a valid point, and people are talking about this too because of a potential lockout in the NFL, right? NFL players guarantee contracts more money. Uh, and it is crazy that lesser NBA players get paid more than NFL players. But I always want to name there's reasons for this. And I, and I know it's mind boggling. Um, that scrubs in the NBA or less than players in the NBA get paid more than the stars you know on your team. There is the, the fifth best player on the Atlanta Hawks probably makes more money than Matt Stafford. It's crazy. Yes, I know. Draymond Green. Let's Draymond Green doesn't even average 10 points a game. <laughs> right? Draymond Green. Draymond Green is making more money than uh, Melvin Gordon a top five running back in the NFL. And by the way, Draymond Green's contract is guaranteed because he plays basketball. But here's why. NBA, 15-man rosters. NFL, 57-man man rosters or whatever. More more money to spread around. I mean, 57 dudes, 57 dudes as opposed to 15, right? Also, NFL, more dangerous. You can't have guaranteed contracts, right? I always say this. The, the biggest part about ability is availability. And I know you might make the argument for the player's side. They should get guaranteed contracts because they can get hurt. But that's the reason why the owners don't want to. Why would you pay somebody when they could not be available? It makes sense. And it makes business sense, actually. Right? We see this all the time. Uh, there's a reason why Melvin Gordon's having a holdout. Ezekiel Elliott's having a holdout. And the reason is because their running backs and their lifespan is short in the NFL. And they can get hurt. And they take a lot of punishment and a lot of contact. Right? But, but here's what I want to say, and here's my whole perspective, and here's the message I want to get out here to everybody. Yes, is it fair that NBA players get paid way more than NFL players? When I will say this, the NFL is a much more popular sport than the NBA in America. Much more popular. Most of you out there probably care more about football than you do basketball. I have a lot of friends. They don't like basketball. They're, they casually follow basketball. They love football. We identify with football. America is a football country, right? The most popular sport by far. Right? But still, NBA players get paid more. And you want to know what? It's not fair. I don't think it's right. Uh, there's a lot of shady stuff to the NBA that the NFL owners do to the NFL players. That does not happen with the NBA uh, players and the NBA owners. But guess what? Here's something. Here's the thing I've learned as I got older. Life isn't fair. Because you want to know what's not fair. And here's what I was thinking about this when people were talking about how unjust it is. 
You know who NFL players make more than? Doctors, teachers, special ed teachers, guidance counselors, police officers, members of the military, nurses, firefighters. I just named about eight, nine, ten essential jobs in America that you could make an argument do more societal benefit for us than a football player or an athlete or a baseball player, right? And they get paid much more money. That's not fair. That's not necessarily fair either. But guess what? It's the market. It's the way things are. And that's why we have to deal with it. That's why we have to deal with it. Uh, I, I, and I'll say this, right? Like I said, Russell Wilson, uh, I think Russell Wilson, like highest paid player, 17 million a year. We're not talking about hockey players. Uh, there's a John Tavares. Uh, he's making $16 million a year. Hockey players don't get paid a lot in annual salary. They don't. And if you want to talk about being unfair or fair, soccer players in Europe, Ronaldo, Messi, Neymar, all of them, they get paid more in annual salary than anybody. <laughs> all right? So, you know, there's always somebody, you know, you can always look at it, it's unfair, but there's always something higher and higher and higher, right? Baseball players. Bryce, baseball players get 10-year contracts. Bryce Harper got a 10-year contract from the Philadelphia Phillies. And guess what? Bryce Harper's hitting like below 300, below 3,000. He has not been good. He's not been great. But guess what? He's making a boatload of money. Now, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in the end of So, you know, it's just the way it is. Have to deal with it. Have to live with it. Now, cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Net. Daniel Gallon on uh, covers the Philadelphia Eagles, like I said, for PenLive.com. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. <laughs> Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us today, Daniel Gallen. He's a Philadelphia Eagles beat writer for PenLive.com. How are you doing, Daniel? I'm doing good, Daryl. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, the first thing I want to ask you, right, you were just at the, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, press conference uh, announcing, you know, Carson Wentz's contract extension. I, I just want to know, you know, what were your thoughts at the press conference? Oh, it was uh, pretty much like classic Wentz. Um, you know, a lot of things that we've heard from him before. Uh, he loves Philadelphia. He really likes being in the city. Um, he feels like that he's really embraced the city and the city's embracing back, and it's where he wants to be. Uh, you know, he was asked a lot about, uh, you know, kind of the magnitude of the contract and if, you know, growing up in North Dakota and being at North Dakota State, if he could ever kind of imagine himself uh, in this type of situation. And, you know, he kind of talks about how, you know, it's a, it's a really cool thing uh, to be in the spot that he's in. Not a lot of people get to do this. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of a very, very upbeat, you know, he thinks he's put his injury stuff behind him. Uh, and, you know, he was like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm ready, for, ready for this year, ready for 2019. Now, I guess what I would want to know, too, is, you know, I think I guess what surprised me, maybe this doesn't surprise you, I guess what surprised me about the contract uh, extension happening so soon is I believe, right, they have another year because he's a first-round pick. You know, you have that fifth-year option. They didn't necessarily need to do the extension now. Uh, I personally would have waited because, you know, of the, of the injury concerns. But why do you think Philadelphia decided to uh, go all in now on Wentz? Yeah, they said that they really wanted to lock him up and they wanted to get this done. Uh you know, I think that some of it goes into them wanting to show uh, that they are confident in him. Um, you know, they've been very public uh, since January where uh, at the season-ending press conference um, when there was still kind of that question about if Nick Bowles would come back. Um, because Pearson said, um, you know, uh, Carson's the quarterback. You know, he's going to be the guy moving forward. So I think that they kind of put their money where their mouth is uh, with that. Um, on the other hand, it, you know, uh, Jared Goff and Dak Prescott are up for their contract extensions too. Uh, and by getting Wentz's done first, you know, they don't have to worry about, um, you know, making them comparable. I know that there's kind of a, you know, you can have your own opinions about, you know, which one of the, about ranking those three, which one is better. Uh, but the way that the, you know, contract game works now is that, you know, whoever the next guy is usually gets the more money. So, by signing once now, you know, 
they probably got a little bit better uh, of a deal here than they would have if they waited for off, if they waited for Prescott. And then who knows, if they wait another year, he, has, he wins the MVP, he plays like he did in 2017, then you're looking at even more of a commitment. Uh, so I think that there's, you know, I don't really know if they say that, you know, oh, we did this now to save some money. But when you look at things on paper, you kind of project things out. Um, you know, that makes a lot of sense is that it, you know, they can do it now. It's a manageable contract. And in three or four years, I think it's going to look like a bargain. Now, now, how how concerned, though, do you think is Philly, though, about the injury concerns a little bit? Because, you know, the, the, this is the second straight year where his season has been cut short when the team ended up making the playoffs anyway, but his season was cut short because of injury. How concerned do you think Philadelphia is, or do they think that, you know, you know the ACL, you know, the back fracture, like all that, you, do they think all now that's chronic? Like, what's their feelings on that? Um, I mean, I think that there are segments of the fan base that are concerned uh, about his durability. Um, you know, before he tore his ACL, there were some, you know, kind of conversations about, you know, does he need to do, because he was scrambling a lot early in 2017, and so there were a lot of conversations like, does he need to worry about his health? Does he need to protect himself more? Uh, and then, you know, there's a clip even from the sideline when he got hurt against the Rams where Jay Ajayi says something like, He's got to stop doing that. Um, you know, so I think that there are some segments of the fan base that do worry about injuries. Um, you know, I think that's kind of like the line that like the team has taken that you kind of heard is that you know it's football, injuries happen, um, and you know I don't think that they're that concerned. Um, you know, the way that I look at it is that um, you know the ACL is a bad injury, but I view that as kind of a freak injury. Um, you know, there's nothing really, you know, that just happens once. That can, that just happens when, you know, he happened to get hit, he happened to take a wrong step. Um, you know, that, I don't really view that as a chronic type thing. Um, I mean, the back injury was a little bit more concerning, uh, because it is his back. But I think that one of the bigger things with the back was that it was a bone and it wasn't, you know, like a disc or something like that. Um, so I think that, you know, and it was his back and, you know, not like his neck or anything. Um, and, you know, they said that it, they made it sound like that he's healed and that he's, he's on the right track. Um, you know, so I think that when you look at it from their perspective, I don't think that there's, you know, any more concern uh, now than there, you know, is for any other player who goes out and plays in a football game. What's the difference between uh, the disc and, the, and, like, the bone in terms of both of them getting hurt, the fracture? I mean, it's like, it's the difference between, you know, hurting a bone and, like, a muscle or something in, like, the, uh, something in the nervous system. Um, you know, like, Tim Jernigan, um, you know, reportedly uh, did something to a disc last season, and he wound up, last offseason, and he wound up missing most of the season. And the terms that they used to talk about it was in kind of, like, you know, he needs to heal so he can have, like, a normal, like, life. Uh, whereas, like, with Lance, it was like, oh, yeah, he needs to heal so he can just get back out uh, on this field. And uh, but Germany seems fine as uh, side to that. But I think that it, you know, in terms of back injuries that you can have, I think that this was one of, like, the lesser severe ones. You know, of course, it, it still is your back, which anytime things start happening to your back, it gets dicey. But he didn't need surgery. He just rehabbed it. So, um, you know, I think he's going to be fine. You know, and you mentioned this before, uh, you know, kind of about the Philadelphia organ- Eagles organization. You know, you know they have faith in Carson Wentz, right? You know, they're not necessarily worried about all the end in- about the injuries that he's had. You know, they- and the- part of what you said about the contract is, you know, they want to give him the contract now because we like we believe in you. And, and I think you can see that too throughout a time where uh, when Nick Foles, won- even when Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, everybody kept saying Duck Peterson uh, from top from owner down to the coach. Everybody kept saying. Carson's still the guy, even though Nick Foles is a Super Bowl MVP. Nick Foles plays well towards the end of the season. The team wins. They're still saying Carson Wentz is the guy. They end up getting rid of Nick Foles. They give uh, Carson Wentz his contract. Why do you think that there's so much belief in the Eagles organization and Carson Wentz where maybe there could have been times where, quite frankly, that they could have found another option or not have believed in, in him quite as strong? So I do think that there's uh, – they can – the one thing that, you know, you kind of go back to when you think about Wentz and you think about his future is, 
that 2017 season, um, you know, he led the Eagles to an 11-2 start. Uh, you know, I've seen people use kind of this comparison where it's like, uh, in that season, Wentz was the starter, Foles was the closer. You know, without Wentz, Foles doesn't even get the chance uh, to do that run or anything. You know, so in 2017, you know, Wentz was the leader to be MVP uh, before he tore his ACL. He had 33 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. Uh, he was making a ton of big plays. The Eagles were 11 2. Like, they were, and they were rolling. Like, they did look like the best team uh, in, the NFC, in the NFL. So they know what his ceiling is. And I think that you can believe in that ceiling. Um, and then I think on the other hand, too, so they know what type of player it is, he is. But on the other hand, too, you know, they have a quarterback who is, at, I think that, you know, you could look at his 2018 season as a bit of a floor. You know, if he's coming off of a torn ACL, he has this back injury that, you know, no one's really said how long he played, uh, played with that. And I think if you look at that as his floor, he was still good last year. And I know that, you know, certain counting stats and certain advanced stats might be a little shaky on that. Uh, but he was fine. Like, he was an, I felt like he was an above average NFL quarterback uh, last year. He wasn't a great NFL quarterback, uh, but he was good. And in the NFL, it's even hard to find above average play. I mean, you look at some of those quarterbacks that teams shot out, you look at some of the guys that still have jobs, that are still getting chances to play, and it kind of shows how hard it is to find a quarterback. And the Eagles have given up so much to get him. You know, they invested in him. Uh, a ton to trade up the selectment number two uh, in 2016. Um, you know, they were going to have to pay a lot of money to get a quarterback anyway. You know, that's just kind of how it works uh, in the NFL now. I mean, you look at the contract that Nick Foles got, which was four years, $88 million. Um, You know, all these other guys are making, you know, $25 million, $30 million. Uh, So I don't really think I didn't really feel like that the numbers on Carson Watson's contract were kind of were unreasonable or anything. That's just like the way things are going. Um, so I think that that kind of played into it too, where you know they they hitched their wagon to Carson Wentz. You know this is going to be the guy. They've seen what he can do at his peak. You've seen what he can kind of do. Um, you know in the when he's not playing well, and it's still fine. So I think that it makes a lot of sense to kind of. You know, hit your wagon to this guy. You know, go with him moving forward because, you know, if he's not the guy, you have to do this whole process over again. You have to, you know, find another quarterback. And this team is really built to win now. Um, so I think that they, they made the right choice by doing this contract now, getting him locked up. Now, from Carson Wentz's perspective, do you think Carson Wentz is feeling, you know, like, more relief, like, you know, the organization, like, they believe in me, you know, they get rid of Foles, you know, I'm the guy. Or do you think he's feeling more pressure, like, kind of like, I got to get this done? How do you think he's feeling? Uh, in January, he did say that, um, you know, he understands that this is a big offseason and this is a big season for him. I think that he's very eager to shed the injury-prone label. Um, you know, and by all accounts, you know, him and Foles were very good friends. Uh, they clicked as soon as Foles came in. You know, they're, they're just, they're very tight. Um, but I do think that from the, you know, competitor part of Wentz, like, I, it really seems like that it kind of, um, you know, it, it didn't annoy him, not really bother, doesn't really bother him. But it, you can tell that he's not happy that, you know, the Eagles have played in five playoff games over the past two seasons, and he hasn't played in any of them. You know, he still hasn't played. Uh, in a playoff game for a team that's 4-1 in the past two years in the playoffs. So I think that he just really wants to get out on the field. He wants to show what he can do. Um, you know, he might say that, you know, oh, I don't really, you know, pay attention to what people say about me. Like, you know, I only, you know, play for myself. But, you know, I think he's very aware. Um, you know, in January, he kind of said some things that, you know, kind of he, he understands what's going on. Um but I think with this contract, I think that he, I don't know if relief is the right word for it, but it definitely kind of solidifies his place. He knows where he stands in the organization, even if he was already kind of at the status already. Um, so I think it is some security for him moving forward. Do you think that there was ever 
kind of a part of Carson Wentz throughout the whole run the last couple of years from the Super Bowl. Something you even mentioned four and one in the postseason when he's now playing kind of like now not a resentment Nick Foles because you mentioned you know they're they're close but kind of you know as a competitor like. I'm pretty sure Carson is hard at hearts, whether he would say or not. He believes he's a better football player than Nick Foles. I think most people think he's a better quarterback than Nick Foles. And part of him's like, you know, Nick Foles can do that against the Patriots in Super Bowl. What could I have done? Like, you know, if we almost beat New Orleans in the divisional round with Nick Foles, what could have I have done? Do you think there's part of that that eats at him a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that would. I think that, you know, if you asked him and just kind of looking at his relationship with Foles, it definitely you know, wouldn't be in comparison to him. I think that he would kind of look at it with the players the Eagles have, uh, with the teams that they had, uh, you know, these past few years and kind of looking at, um, you know, kind of like what he could do. I mean, because, I mean, he does know what he can do. You know, he showed it in those uh, games in 2017 uh, where he, you know, was just lighting up defenses. So, you know, I think that he's, you know, he knows what he can do and he knows what he could do, um, you know, against those teams and in this situation, you know, I think that he just wants to get that playoff experience. And I think the bigger thing is that he kind of knows that the way that this team is built and the talent that they have right now, it's that he knows that, you know, they have the potential to go far every year. And, you know, I think that, yeah, that's, that's what he wants to do. Now, there were reports a couple of months ago and people were talking about, I guess, like, I guess in the Eagles locker room, the reports that, I guess, Kind of like the locker room was kind of split, I want to say. You know, some people were siding with Foles. Some people were siding with Wentz. What, what, what did you think of those reports? And people were questioning Wentz's leadership as well, I believe, in that report. Yeah, I mean, it was when you read it, you know, you know, a lot of his teammates came out in defense of him. Um, he defended himself. Uh, but I thought that it was, you know, a little telling, um, you know, that when he did his... Uh, when he did a sit-down with some of the beat, with a couple of the beat writers uh, a week or two after that story came out, he, he was very accountable. Um, you know, he wasn't saying that the story was fake or that, you know, these were all lies. You know, I think that he kind of acknowledged that, you know, there was some truth uh, in there. Now, I mean, uh, the way that it was presented uh, in terms of there being kind of a, a rift in the locker room or, you know, people, like, calling him egotistical, you know, I don't necessarily know, you know, if that is, you know, was the perception or anything. But, I mean, Wentz was only a third-year player last year. You know, he's a, he's a franchise quarterback. That's a role that you kind of have to grow into. That's a role you have to adjust to. Uh, he was away from the team a lot of long off because he was free having his feet. Um, you know, I think it's been a difficult, you know, two years for him. Um, and so I think that he acknowledged that, you know, Maybe he didn't handle certain situations uh, as well as he should have, or and he acknowledged that you know this is something I'm going to grow into uh, a little bit more. So it was an interesting thing to you know kind of hear what he had to say about it. Um, but I think that in terms of leadership, I mean, I think that the team is you know behind him, and that you know the team you know he's the quarterback, and I think that you know they understand that, and they're you know looking forward to playing with him this year. Now, and you and you touched on the dynamic, the dynamic between Wentz and Foles a little bit. You know that they are close, but from I guess Nick Foles, Nick Foles's perspective, where I'd ask, do you think there was ever a point where Nick Foles was kind of like, I should be the starter, or do you think he was always content, like, you know, I'm here as the reliever, like Carson's the guy, this is Carson's team, Carson's franchise. Uh, yeah, I mean, Foles. I think that Foles envisioned himself being a starting quarterback again but I don't think that he envisioned himself being the starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles again, uh, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, when he came in, he said that he was in, he was, I'm the backup, I'm here to, you know, do whatever Carson needs, I'm here to play behind Carson and do what the team uh, needs, you know, whenever I'm there. And, you know, that's the line that he took through the entire Super Bowl run, entire last off season, it was very understood that, you know, when Carson's healthy, Carson's going to be the starter. You know, when Carson's healthy, Nick becomes the backup. Um, and then down the stretch, even, you know, late in the season, uh, you know, Foles was, you know, echoed the same exact thing where he was like, you know, Carson was the number two pick in the draft. He knows how much the team invested in him. Um, and he knows that everything is being built for Carson. Things were not, you know, built for Nick 
I think Nika's very aware of the situation. Um, and also, if Lentz never gets hurt uh, in 2017, you know, who knows if Foles is, you know, retired by now. He could still be the backup quarterback. You know, he was just kind of a different guy. He seems very, you know, he almost retired after the 2015 season. You know, he said he stopped loving football. Then he started loving it again. And he kind of brought a unique perspective where, you know, he seems exactly the same, you know, being the backup in, you know, week eight last year as he was, you know, winning the Super Bowl uh, after the 2017 season. So I think that he's he's a very different kind of guy. Um, He seems very content with his roles, but then he also seems to understand kind of the, he could see the, Uh, do you think that Nick Foles was always uh, more uh, smoke and mirrors, or do you think he was he's oh he's this good? Like how good do you think Nick Foles actually is? Because you know I mean he is a Super Bowl MVP. Only a handful of guys can say that, but we we see you know how he did with the Rams and you know other sto- other stops. You think Nick Foles is more smoke and mirrors, or do you think he is like an upper tier quarterback? You know, because and I also want to ask you this too, because a lot of times too, when we talk about when people talk about uh, the best offensive minds of football, people will mention like Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay. But where would you put Doug Peterson in that tier? Because I guess from my perspective, you see a guy, uh, Doug Peterson, and I think Frank Reich had a little bit to do with this too, especially the the year they won the Super Bowl. You have Carson Wentz, second year, playing at an MVP level. You know, way way beyond his years, he gets hurt. Then you have Nick Foles, who everybody kind of thought is like was chopped liver. And then Nick Foles is outgunning Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. How do you think uh, Frank Wright and even and Doug Peterson more more to Doug Peterson the extent to that? How do you think they they were able to get both those guys to both peak and play at that high yeah. of a level? Yeah, I mean, I think that Peterson, uh, you know, has kind of really come into his come into his own uh, as a coach. Um, you know, I think that he understands you know, his players. He's able to connect with them. He knows that he needs to put them in, in situations to succeed. He needs to put them in, in situations that feel natural. Um, so I think that that's, like, one of his biggest strengths is just kind of, you know, as a person, uh, you know, with empathy, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I do think as an offensive mind, I like, I do think that he is uh, among the better, uh, better ones in the NFL. Um, I know that McVeigh a ton of like the a ton of the pub right now. Um, but you know, Peterson's beaten him twice at the head. Uh, they both played the Patriots in the Super Bowl and you know, you know how both of those turned out. Um, but I think that Peterson's strength is you know, is that he is a truly innovative offensive mind. And he's able to supplement it with kind of the you know, being a player's coach, you know, being able to connect with his players on a couple different levels and really fostering a very strong culture. Um, you know, there were some hiccups from Frank Reichlef last year. Um, you know, Mike Grove, the first-time offensive coordinator, um, they had a really short offseason. They never played with the, 
with your projected starting 11 uh, entering the season because Wentz didn't come back until week three, Alshon Jeffrey didn't come back until week four, and at that point, uh, you know, Mike Wallace was already injured, Jay Dry got injured in week five, Corey Clement was already in and out of the lineup. Um, you know, so Wentz never got to play, and Peterson never got coached with a, with a full deck. Um, you know, I, I'm very interested to see what happens, you know, this year where, you know, hypothetically, you know, you had a longer off-season, so guys should be healthier coming in. You should have all your pieces. Mike Rowe is going to go into his second year uh, as the offensive coordinator. They have a little less turnover uh, on the offensive staff. I think the only, the only main change is they switch wide receivers coaches. Um, so you're bringing back most of the same group. There should be some stability. You're going to have continuity with Wentz being able to participate fully in training camp, being fully part of the uh, of the offseason program. So I think that the offense will look more like 2017 than 2018 uh, this year. And I think that Peterson is really really the main reason why that this team has been able to hit these kind of heights. Now, I, I do want to know, because you did mention to me, you know, you covered the Eagles, you know, during that Super Bowl run. What was your thought? Did you ever believe that Nick Foles could actually outgun Tom Brady in a Super Bowl? Like, well, like, what was your thought after that game? I mean, going into the game at that point, uh, you know, my colleague and I were talking about it, and neither of us knew what to expect. Um, you know, the team had looked so good with when, uh It took them, you know, with Foles uh, in – Foles' first start against the Giants, uh, the whole team was a little shaky. Um, then they played the Raiders on Christmas and won an ugly game, and then they lost an even uglier game uh, against the Cowboys uh, in um, in the season finale. And then they they won ugly against the Falcons, and then you know through the first quarter, first quarter and a half of that Vikings game, then the championship, uh, it was you know pretty touch and go. But then, you know, late in the first half and in the second half, Foles was just on fire and looked unreal. And, you know, he's such a streaky player. I mean, he, you know, talked, he was a basketball player in high school and talked a lot about football and basketball terms where you kind of like, once you see a couple shots go in, you start feeling a lot better. Uh, so the way that he closed that Vikings game and just the way the whole team was playing, when we were going into that game, we honestly did not know uh, how it was going to go. And Daniel, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Now, kind of next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Keith Thurman Manny Pacquiao fight. Kind of next, after the break. back with Barbershop Sports Talk. Once again, I want to thank Daniel Gallon for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, spent time out of his very busy schedule to come on the show. Now, here's what I want to talk about, right? Keith Thurman versus Manny Pacquiao. Uh, personally, after the Horn fight, I thought Manny Pacquiao was done. I thought Betty Pacquiao, 40 years old, I thought, Betty, he's a senator or whatever in the Philippines, you know, is his native land. I was like, Manny, just chill out, Manny. Just go home, chill, you know, boxing. People talk about dangerous football. This boxing is even more dangerous. People are really taking blows to your head. Like, that is literally the, the name of the game. It's not necessarily the name of the game in football. It's just to get you on the ground, right? Or stop the other person from getting you on the ground. Like, literally, the name of the game in boxing is to knock you out, to hurt you. That That is literally. So, uh, I was always like, man, he just retired. Just chill. And, man. Oh my God! Did Manny Pacquiao make a statement? And I actually did not watch the fight because I was working, but I watched it on YouTube. Uh, when I got home, and he, he were just my, my biggest takeaway from the fight. And, and by the way, Manny Pacquiao beat the tar out of Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman was talking a lot about Keith Thurman bet money on himself in Vegas to win. And Manny Pacquiao, uh, bop, 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 two piece. And he knocked Keith out. I mean, uh, he knocked Keith down. He didn't knock him out, he knocked him down. And he got his face all bloody. He, he was hurting him, and you could tell he was messing up his face, too. It was not a good sight. It was not pretty to watch. Uh, but here, here's what this sets the stage for, before I get back to the Pacquiao-Thurman fight. 
Everybody's now talking about a Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao part two. That's what everybody's talking about. And let me say this. And this is what every media outlet, every sports show, this is what everybody's talking about. And you want to know what? I, I think it'd be a big draw. They'd still probably make a hell of a lot of money off of it. But here's why you won't need to know why it probably won't happen, at least in my opinion, why it can't happen. Floyd Mayweather. Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather is not fighting Manny Pacquiao. Floyd is not. Listen, when Floyd was in his prime, his athletic prime, his physical peak, he didn't want no parts of Manny Pacquiao. And I know, and I agree, Floyd beat Manny Pacquiao when they fought four or five years ago, but they were both old. They were both in their mid-30s. Floyd beat him, right? Floyd beat Pacquiao. But Floyd didn't want no parts of Pacquiao when they were both in their prime. And there's a reason for that. Listen, I always say this about Floyd. You can say Floyd doesn't sound like he's too smart. You can say he, he beats women. You can say he's not a good guy. Uh, you can say he can't. You can say all this stuff about Floyd. He flaunts all of his money. He's not a good guy, whatever. Here's the one thing you can never doubt about Floyd. Everything Floyd does is for a reason, business-wise, when it comes to boxing. Everything he does is for a reason. There is a reason why he fought Oscar De La Hoya when Oscar De La Hoya was out of his prime, was at the end of his career. There's a reason why Floyd did that. There's a reason why Floyd didn't fight Manny Pacquiao in his prime, even though Floyd was in his prime. Because Floyd does not take fights that he has a good chance of losing. Every fight Floyd has ever taken, it is a more of a 50% chance shot that Floyd will win. Seriously. More than 50% shot that he'll win. He fought Canelo when Canelo was really young. And still had him went through the you know the, the war tours of boxing, right? Hadn't fought a triple G, hadn't been super tested yet. Floyd, Floyd's never fought a in, in, in their prime boxer that's at their peak, that this is who who could win. Is Floyd the underdog? No, Floyd's never done that. So this is what Manny Pacquiao did to Keith Thurman, who was probably the third best guy in that division, and, and Pacquiao beat him pretty handily. Uh, and, and Thurman was 25-0 and 0 heading into the fight, and Thurman ran into a boss, saw Manny Pacquiao. Here's what Manny did. He dropped Thurman. He effed up his face. He made his nose bleed. Manny looked quick as ever on his feet. His hand speed was as quick as ever. His hand-eye coordination was quick as ever. His reflexes were quick as ever. His explosiveness was quick as ever. He, had a, he was aggressive and he had power. If Floyd Mayweather fought Manny Pacquiao right now, Floyd would get his butt whooped. Almost said something else. Floyd would get his arse kicked. And it wouldn't be close. And it would not be close. You might say, oh my God. Oh, Daryl, this Floyd Mayweather shoulder roll. Floyd Mayweather's undefeated. Listen, the last, <laughs> the last time uh, Floyd fought was probably... Two years ago when he fought Conor McGregor, who wasn't a boxer, he was a UFC fighter. And I saw Conor McGregor get clean hits on Floyd. Conor McGregor got clean hits on Floyd. And I believe I said this. This is like 60 episodes ago on the show after that fight happened. And I was like, Floyd, you need to retire. You secured the bag one last time. Retire. There is no point. There is nothing else to gain. You, you are not the same. Floyd looked slow on his feet. His reflexes didn't look the same. If Conor McGregor, who is this big, slow, tall, lumbering guy, got hits on Floyd, what is Manny Pacquiao going to do? Manny Pacquiao is going to eat Floyd alive. He's going to eat Floyd alive. And not to mention, this is a tricky fight for Floyd anyway because while Floyd has that crazy Philly, Philly shell shoulder roll defense, Manny Pacquiao's a southpaw. So he can't do the shoulder roll to the right side because Manny Pacquiao's a, 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 a southpaw and his hits are going to land right into Floyd's face. So it's a tricky fight anyway for Floyd. It's not an easy fight and it's not an easy matchup for him. And Manny Pacquiao's fighting as well as he's ever had in his career. As well as he ever has. Floyd's last real boxing fight was Manny Pacquiao, which was five years ago. I believe I was a junior in high school. About to be a senior in college. Long time ago. Long time ago, right? Almost half a decade. Long time ago. Long time ago. That was the last legitimate boxer Floyd fought. Then after that, he fought this uh, this other scrub. Uh, wasn't a very high up guy. And Floyd beat him pretty easily. Then he uh, 
retired, then, then he came out of retirement for McGregor, right? That's what Floyd did. And Floyd did what he wanted. He beat Marcian, uh, Rocky Marciano's um, 49-0 record. He's 50-0. He's a billionaire. Uh, he, he has the back. He has all of it. Floyd is not coming out of retirement to fight Pacquiao. Floyd cannot beat Manny Pacquiao. And, and, I, and after uh, I watched the Pacquiao-Thurman fight, I watched a little bit of the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight, the time they fight, and fought. And you want to know what the biggest thing is? While Floyd was not as quick as he was, like in his 30s, he was about 35 when that fight happened, the biggest thing that I noticed, and I'm no boxing expert, but here's what I noticed. When Floyd, Floyd was still extremely quick, he would tie up Pacquiao. Because Pacquiao, Pacquiao likes to get a lot of punches off. He's more of a uh, volume guy, right? A volume. He, he's going to throw 20 punches, and if eight connect, eight connect. But those, those eight that connect are going to be hard. Ask Keith Thurman. They're going to be hard. What Pacquiao did, what, what Mayweather did is he would tie him up. He would get like in a pumble position, which is kind of like a wrestling position, and kind of tie him up. The slow, the pace down of the, of the bout. The slow uh, Pacquiao down. And that's why Pacquiao missed so many punches. You know, then Pacquiao, he starts getting frustrated, starts trying to chase Floyd, uh, chase Floyd around. Floyd does not have those same reflexes. He does not have that same athleticism. He probably doesn't even have the same punching power he did five years ago. What Floyd looks like he's been doing is chilling, hanging out. Uh, he's been, it looks like he's been at the strip club quite a bit, uh, flaunting his money around, which is his business, and he can do that if he wants to do, but that doesn't mean he's he can go on a full full top boxing match with Manny Pacquiao now. I always said this, Floyd would beat Conor McGregor's butt because Floyd's a boxer, Conor McGregor is not. Manny Pacquiao is a boxer and Manny Pacquiao is for real. Now people are saying Floyd loves money. Well, you know what else? Well, let me tell you, money ain't everything. Money is not everything. Floyd has a lot of money. And I'm trying to tell you this, if Floyd does not, Floyd will not beat Manny Pacquiao. Let me just end this. And I will, I'm predicting this right here. Episode 91 of Barbershop Sports Talk. If Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao fight, Floyd will lose. Floyd will lose. And Floyd might get embarrassed. He might get embarrassed. I don't know how good of a shape that Floyd has kept himself in. But he's not going through the grind that Pacquiao is right now. And it takes a lot of a lot in you to get revved up like that. Especially when Floyd already beat him. Now it's time for a little crazy, lazy, or maybe 2020 NBA MVP odds. Giannis Antetokounmpo was favored over Steph Curry and LeBron James. I'm going to go maybe. There's a point. Uh, LeBron probably is not going to play 82 games. Uh, Steph Curry, I don't think the Warriors will be good enough. They won't have Klay Thompson. Their backcourt is going to be atrocious defensively with D'Angelo Russell uh, and Steph in the backcourt, right? Uh, like I said, losing Klay Thompson is going to be a, be a big thing for the Warriors. And Steph Curry's already won it twice, so they're not going to give Steph Curry uh, the MVP three for three times. That would just be ludicrous. So Giannis, I think he'll have a second one. I think the Bucks will have the best record in the East again, arguably the best record in the NBA. Giannis is still young. He'll still play 40-plus minutes a game, and his game is still evolving, and he's still getting better. UFC's Dana White thinks Conor McGregor will fight in 2019 or early 2020. White said... He'll either be back this year or early next year. We'll see how this whole thing plays out in September. White said McGregor will not get the winner of Nurmagomedov and poor, but added, I'll shake a lot of things up whoever wins that fight. Lazy. If Conor McGregor, and this is kind of similar to what Floyd's thing I was talking about, uh, in a different way. Uh, like Floyd, and the reason, like I said, Here's the reason. Pacquiao, if Floyd would, like, for example, if Floyd would ever uh, fight Pacquiao, it, it'd have to be uh, almost a billion dollars. It'd have to be something astronomical that Floyd just could not say no to. Because there's no reason for him to fight. His legacy sad arguably the greatest boxer ever. He already beat Pacquiao. Conor McGregor has all the money he could have. Floyd got him paid, right? Got him paid for a butt whooping. Conor doesn't have to fight. Well, I mean, like, like why? 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 It doesn't make any sense. Especially Khabib. Khabib is an animal. Khabib is animal. So I think I think Data's lazy that he'll like Conor McGregor is just gonna fight. No, Conor McGregor is not just gonna fight. Frank Vogel, Lakers haven't set starting lineup amid LeBron James point guard rumors. Frank Vogel told the media that 
LeBron James, we could have certain lineups where he's playing point guard. Lazy. Frank, let me give you some basketball advice. Uh, while LeBron, LeBron James played point guard his whole career. His whole career, literally. He's always been a point forward. He's always brought the ball up the court. He's always orchestrated the offense. He doesn't need to necessarily start at the point guard position, especially who else you put out in that starting lineup. He's in the Western Conference. Let's remember, he's in the Western Conference. And while LeBron James can play point guard offensively, what about defensively? You want LeBron James guarding James Harden on a nightly basis? Mike Conley on a nightly basis? A Chris Paul on a nightly basis? A Russell Westbrook on a nightly basis? A Steph Curry on a nightly basis? No, you don't. You don't want LeBron running around doing all that. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Shaquille O'Neal told Jimmy Kimmel he wouldn't join Lakers or Clippers today. Basketball Hall of Famer inside the NBA TV analyst Shaquille O'Neal went on the Jimmy Kimmel Live show and said he wouldn't join any of those super teams. Not one of those teams, O'Neal said. I'm from an era where guys want to compete and beat each other. So I would go on a team that needs a superstar and I teach them guys how to beat those super teams. Lazy. You, you, this is, and, and here's the thing. Uh, when people talk about super teams. Super teams? Shaq played on a super team. Kobe, Shaq. A top five team in NBA history? I don't know. You have the Magic Kareem Lakers. You have the Larry Bird McHale Celtics. You have the obviously Jordan's Bulls, Bill Russell Celtics. I'm thinking of teams. Maybe LeBron T. Well, whatever. Kobe Shaq is up there. They're up there. You were on a super team, Shaq. Stop it. Stop it. Lincoln Riley doesn't plan on Oklahoma's offense dipping without Kyler Murray next year. Lincoln Riley said during... Big 12 media day. We don't plan on the offense dipping, and we definitely expect the defense to be better, Riley said Monday. Maybe. Lincoln Riley has a point. You're going to have Jalen Hurts. Uh, he's been a, he started, he won, first of all, he won SEC Offensive Player of the Year as a true freshman, I believe, or it was a true sophomore, e either or, uh, has been in uh, multiple national championship games. You can develop him as a thrower. He will be very good. And at the very least, I think he can have a Tim Tebow-esque impact, which means the offense will be fun and it will be rolling. Cowboys rumors. Ezekiel Elliott hasn't firmly decided on contract holdout yet. Crazy. You know Zeke has already decided. You already know Zeke has decided. Now, I think right now, Zeke is not coming in. Because right now, Zeke's leverage will never be high. He's at the prime of his career. He's like 24, 25 years old. His peak physically, athletically, his body. He'll never be bigger. He'll never be faster. He'll never be stronger than he is right now. Right? He's a running back. There's expiration date on running back's careers. Let's remember. Also, the Cowboys need him. Their offensive line and their running game is what feeds the offense, what helps out the defense, keeps the defense off the field, uh, keeps Dak Prescott from being exposed. Pay Zeke, and Zeke will sit out. Report, Kawhi Leonard's uncle, Dennis, allegedly made a legal free agent request. ESPN Stephen A. Smith said the following on... Monday's episode of First Take. This is me putting on my reporter's hat here, Smith said. People in NBA circles are talking about this right now. Allegedly, the uncle, Uncle Dennis, was asking for a lot. And other teams? Here's what they said. Houses, planes, sponsorships, guaranteed sponsorship money. Just as an example. They're throwing this stuff out there. All of those things are supposedly illegal in the collective bargaining agreement. I have no idea whether this is true or not. I'm not trying to cast any aspersions on Uncle Dennis, but people in NBA circles are talking about this as we speak. Crazy. This is crazy. There are concessions that every team makes for their superstar. Listen. What you think the Cleveland Cavaliers were doing for LeBron James? LeBron James' boys got the ride of the team playing. LeBron James got car blanche when he was in Cleveland. Both times around, LeBron James was the sun, the moon, the king, the messiah, whatever you want to call it in that organization. That's probably why, that's why Dan Gilbert didn't particularly like LeBron. Because like I said last episode when I was talking about being the owner, Dan Gilbert was the owner of the team. And you can make an argument, he wasn't even the most powerful man in the organization. <laughs> right? That's what happens when you're a superstar. Alabama linebacker Dylan Moses says Crimson Tide's best better than Clemson's during SEC media day Moses said when responding to the question of their loss last year to Clemson it was more of just preparation Moses said 
when talking about the Clemson loss. I wouldn't say that we're a better team because we both have great athletes on both sides of the ball, but it was like we didn't prepare as much for Clemson, and they obviously prepared for us. They game plan better than us. Lazy. Actually, no, I'm going to give this. This is crazy. This is crazy. This makes no sense. Uh, they just beat the tar out of you. You you cannot use that argument they prepared better with, than you when you get blown out. <laughs> okay? Clemson blew out Alabama. Clemson was the better football team. End of story. And that's it for crazy, lazy, or maybe... Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. I'm going to issue a challenge to one NBA superstar. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. Now, I want to talk about Ben Simmons, point guard for the Philadelphia 76ers. He just got a $180 million contract extension. And there's videos of Ben Simmons hitting jump shots, right? Uh, there's videos online of him hitting jump shots. I don't care. Uh, and here's why. You know, everybody talks about Giannis Antetokounmpo really quickly. Here's my, I have a big problem with Ben Simmons. About how Giannis got exposed by Kawhi, which Giannis did get exposed by Kawhi in the Eastern Conference Finals, right? Because Giannis can't shoot. But we talk about Giannis can't shoot. People talk about Lonzo Ball can't shoot. Have you seen Ben Simmons? And I always say, everybody, I want you all to guess, listening out there, guess, and we're talking about the NBA now. It's a three-point shooting league, right? Steph Curry changed everything. You have to make threes. It's the, it's the spread, pick, and roll. Uh, Clay Thompson, guys like that, Kyle Korver, those guys are so important. You have to be able to shoot to play in today's NBA. It's the court spacing. It's how the game is played. It's the tempo, right? Guess, and Ben Simmons is a guard now. He's not a big man. He's not a Shaq. He's not a Dwight Howard. He's not even a LeBron, a guy with big hands. You can say he's kind of clunky, can't shoot, right? Guess what Ben Simmons' three-point shooting percentage is? I'm waiting. Yes. I'm being facetious. Uh, I don't want to answer. It's rhetorical. Uh, it's zero percent. <laughs> he shoots zero percent from three. He's an NBA player that can't shoot. Guess what his playoff three-point shooting percentage is? Zero an NBA player that can't shoot. Man, that's crazy. That's like a chef that can't cook. That's like a janitor that doesn't know how to use a mop. Could, could, you, could you imagine? It's like an Uber driver that can't drive. You all pick up, you all call your Uber driver, your Uber driver comes up big, your Uber driver's like, I actually, I don't know how to drive. That's what it's like for Ben Simmons not to have a jump shot. Literally. That's what you do at every gym. Every time you go to the gym, you shoot. And Ben Simmons has a $180 million contract. Now, like I said, regular season, playoffs. First two years. Guess what his three-point shooting percentage is? It's 0%. Ben Simmons has the same three-point shooting percentage in the NBA as me. Zero. That, you, know, you know how good that makes me feel? He got $180 million. That's crazy. And like I said, ever, and, and no, it's like nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. People, I hear people still talk about how LeBron can't shoot. Yet nobody talks about Ben Simmons. He's a guard in a guards league that can't shoot. Like I said, you want somebody cooking your food that can't cook? Your math teacher's like, hey, I really don't know algebra. He's like, okay, let's see how this one works. I hope Ben gets his shot together. I really do. And and putting videos of it uh, shooting over scrubs, that doesn't necessarily impress me unless you can do it against 
NBA players, because Ben Simmons is 6'9", 250. He should do that against Scrubs. Just my personal opinion. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk, the 91st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. I had a great show again uh, today. Again, I want to thank uh, Daniel Gallen for coming on the show. Uh, covers the Philadelphia Eagles for PenLive.com. Really enjoyed him coming on and spending time out of his day. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.